Welcome to Let's Open the Bible, where our goal is to open the Bible and look at what it says. For the next few minutes, we will be looking at a passage from one book. We will continue weekly until we finish that book. I'm Tom Nordstrom, and with me is Bill, Casey, and Nate. Welcome to Let's Open the Bible. This is episode number 10 of season 2. We are in the book of Ephesians, and we're going to be looking at Ephesians chapter 5, verses 31 through chapter 6, verse 9. And so again, I have with me Nate and Tom, and we are going to read the text here, and then we are going to discuss it further after we've read it. All right, Ephesians chapter 5, 31 through chapter 6, 9. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart, as you would Christ, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bond servant or is free. Masters, do the same to them, and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and that there's no partiality with him. Okay, as we... This kind of starts off finishing up um, from last podcast, you know, this talking about husbands and wives, you know. It really is, and I've seen this in people that I've known, um... Your in-laws can cause a new married couple a lot of problems, and particularly mother-in-laws and father-in-laws, and mother-in-laws for the son, and father-in-laws for the daughter, mm-hmm. and, and it's just like uh, one of my nieces recently got married, and her dad and I were talking, and I said, you know, if I had one piece of advice to give them, I, I'd tell them. Limit your involvement with single people. And, and that goes, also limit your involvement with your family. You're no longer part of that family. Your, your focus needs to be on your husband, your wife. If you're a wife, your husband. And when kids become come into the picture, as most often is the case, then it's, for the husband, it's your wife, and your kids, yeah. and for the wife, it's your husband and the kids. Uh, we kind of, as a society, we kind of have it a little bit backwards. We kind of focus on the kids and then our spouse, and you know, and we see that God is ex- expressly telling us focus on your spouse and then your kids. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a. 
this verse, uh, Ephesians 5, verse 31, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, the two shall become one flesh. That's a quote of Genesis 1, or maybe it's 2.26, I want to say. Um, Genesis 2... There's not even a Genesis 2.26. It's 2.24. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. They shall become one flesh. Um, so anyway, it's a reference back to creation whenever uh, God created Adam and Eve. And yeah, I think what you're saying is absolutely true, that now a husband, whenever uh, a woman leaves her family and a, and a man leaves his family and they cling to one another and are now a new family, I think there's definitely some... Obviously, we're not supposed to cut off our other families, and I don't think that's what you're saying, but there needs to be some wisdom in, you know, I'm not mommy's little boy anymore. Now I'm a husband, and I am, you know, there's some, and now my wife is not daddy's little girl anymore. She's, I'm responsible for her, and there's some, yeah, there's definitely some some truth in that, and there's a major, and I think what this is getting at is the responsibility, the spiritual responsibility that now a man has for his wife. Um, and no longer can we lean on um, the faith and the leadership of our parents anymore. Not that we shouldn't tap into that in no way. Is that what it's saying? But now the responsibility that a man has to his wife once they're married um, is big time. I think kind of a trend that we see in society is sometimes married couples getting married and then like living with their parents or their in-laws for like an extended period of time when like they really don't have to, you know, it's not necessarily necessary. And I think there's instances where maybe it is necessary, um, but they're relying on them for financial help or this, that, and the other, and they're not maintaining their relationship, just a one-on-one relationship between a husband and a wife. And I think that is problematic. We keep bringing the, and we need to be careful here because we're bringing this into the modern world. But if I understand what the culture was when Paul was writing this letter, particularly the Jewish culture, if a young man wanted to get married, he would, if both families were okay with the marriage, he would then kind of add on to his dad's house, the bridal chamber. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't until the bridal chamber that the dad said that the bridal chamber was done, that he could go and get his, go and get his wife. Yeah. Um, We see this in the gospels where Mary was betrothed to Joseph. Well, they were married. Yeah. But she wasn't with Joseph yet because Joseph's dad had not said, okay, the bridal chamber is done. You can go and get your wife. And and so, you know, it's easy for us to say, yeah, get rid of your, you're no longer part of your family. But if your house is literally right there, you know, you, you cannot lean on your dad for support or your mom for support. You have to make it kind of on your own, even if they're right there. And I don't, it's, I don't know if I'm saying it correctly. No, I think, I mean, I think the point that we're trying to make is n- not, we're not, we're not stating negatively, do not lean on your parents, but the point we're trying to make positively is a husband is responsible for his wife and they are now um, in union together. Um, so it's not, 
I think we would all agree that once we're married, it, it's very wise to lean. I mean, I talk to my in-laws all the time, and I talk to my parents all the time, and it's wise to, you know, seek that wisdom. But it now it's on me to bring Katie, my wife, to you know love the Lord, and it's my responsibility. It's not her parents' responsibility anymore. She's my responsibility, and that is what this passage is saying. It's not saying don't be in contact with your in-laws. Um, I guess a good way to put it would be, as men, we all have, well, as people, we all have a favorite dish. And, well, mom makes that spaghetti really good. And if Katie, your wife, doesn't make spaghetti as good as that, well, you can't say, well, my mom made it better. It's, Katie, this is great. Yeah. You know, this is exactly how I want it. Because... She made it. Yeah. Not because it compares with your mom's, how your mom made it. Um, but it's the best because she made it. And she would have, she needs to have the idea that, well, if Nate, you fixed my car. Great because you fixed it. Not because you did it like my dad would do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And just throwing out. Yeah. There's a union. Yeah. And newness. And I mean, I think it is different where you live. Like, I think me and Emily, uh, we got married. We lived in Alabama. None of our family lived there, so we were on our own. And I think you learn to grow together as a couple when you don't have constant interaction with your in-laws. Obviously, we talked to them on the phone, this, that, and the other, but they were working right down the street. And then I think on the other end is my sister, which I think her marriage is fine. Her marriage is good. But they live right down the street from my mom and dad, and they're there every day. They live right down the street from the other set of uh, in-laws, and they are there almost every day. And, like, the in-laws are very involved with the grandkids' lives. So I think there's, like, two different sides to it. But I think you have to make sure that you are doing what you can to make your family grow, and you're not relying on your parents for help. I don't think it has anything to do with spending time with in-laws, because I don't think there's anything wrong with that. No, I think it is a part of... You have to grow your own family and not rely on your parents to help you in the process. And whatever, if you need help, wisdom, financial help, that's fine. But don't always rely on that. You know, you're your own family and you got to do what it takes to raise and nurture and grow your own family. And it's a spiritual application. Yeah, for sure. And this also goes for the in-laws. Your son or your daughter, they're married. They have their own life now. You can't be involved with it as much as you may want to you know you may want to oh your your wife or your in the case of a son-in-law your your son your husband is is not doing that right it's not your decision to make to put that out there now if they come to you and say hey listen i need to i need to pick your brain about this situation then you can give your advice but be careful of the free advice that you're giving and the free advice that you're seeking yes. from your in-laws. And I think it goes back to tough love. Like some things people just have to learn on their own. And like you, it's hard. I know it's hard for in-laws to sit there and sometimes watch things happen, but sometimes it's the best thing that can happen because they're going to learn from that. They're going to grow from that. Um, and obviously I think if they ask you for advice, it's one thing, but I think it's sometimes unwise for in-laws to give unsolicited advice because they're not going to live the way that you lived all the time. They're not going to make the same exact choice in every circumstance that you're going to make. They're going to have to do things on their own. And so for you to constantly give unsolicited advice that they're not asking for, I don't think it's wise. Um, I think they've got to learn to grow, to prosper. 
uh, to raise their family in the Lord as they should on their own. And if they need help or want help and come to you, that's one thing. But just you can't control everything they do. They're out of the house. They have left you. They have chosen to get married to raise a family, and so they're going to have to make choices on their own. Even if you are living with them at the time, yeah. they're out of the house. Yes. In other words, they are out of If they're in your house, they are still out of it because they have their own life that they have to live. Yes. Um, and, I, I, and I agree with that unsolicited advice, and I would extend that to friends particularly single friends be careful of your unsolicited advice to married people a you're looking at the world completely different than a married person is who should be looking at the world for sure yeah and i think in order for a married couple to become one flesh this is something that has to happen they have to not physically cut ties, but there's some extent to where they need to cut, you know, cut some ties with the flow of information and the flow of, you know, helping out with their family to adequately grow and become one flesh. Because if you don't, then it's not no longer necessarily just one flesh. There's a lot of other things involved with that. So to, in order to become one flesh with your husband or wife, I think there is some instance where, you know, maybe you're not good at that. And maybe it requires you, you know, we're going to have to move away somewhere to where, you know, we have some contact with their family, but they're not right down the street to where they're always involved with the affairs of our marriage. (laughs) It just depends on how it works. You can live right down the street. That's fine if that works. But if it doesn't work, well, then maybe to in order to love your wife as you should or to respect your husband as you should, maybe you need to take yourself to where y'all can spend some quality alone time together and grow your family yeah the, it's very personal decision um, we're not trying to say one's right one's wrong i think the point of the whole thing is that they're you have to learn to raise your family and nurture your family on your own and not rely on your family yeah this is talking to husbands um, yes but it, it also applies to wives too but it's specifically talking to husbands you have to know where to draw the line yes and if mom or dad is calling you constantly to come help do something and you're running over there constantly, well, you haven't left your father and mother. Right. You know, it's like, I'm, you know, I would love to come help you move your washer, but my wife and I have decided we're going to go flower viewing or whatever. Flower viewing. Flower viewing. <laughs> I just threw out something. Yeah. You know, we're gonna we're gonna go on a bike ride. Yeah. Is the bike ride more important than helping your parents? Well, if you and your wife have planned to do it, yes, it is. Yeah. You know, the washer and dryer that needs to be moved can help or can be done later, or they can call somebody else if it's an emergency to get it moved. I think I get. I think we've. Not that anything that we're saying is wrong, but we're, I think everything we're saying is absolutely true, but we just need to remember to, we're not telling anyone how to live their life, and the Bible is not. The point of this section in verse 31, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, the point is the spiritual obligation that a husband has to his wife, Uh, and sometimes families can get in the way of that. It can be a crutch, I think. Yeah. 
The husband is responsible for his wife. The wife submits to her husband. And um, in order for that to happen as it should, there has to be some sense of a leaving of your father and mother. It's a union between two people, a man and a woman, um, and their responsibility is to to God. So that's that's the point. But everything that was, I, I mean, everything that was said is there's a lot of wisdom in everything that uh, we were just talking about about marriage. But don't think that we're coming for your your marriage and your in laws because that's not the point. Um, no, what what we were doing was what chapter five verse ten was saying. We were trying to discern what is yeah to the Lord. yeah that's a that's a good yeah that's a good yeah and, point. and it and it goes back to that really yeah as a married couple you need to try and discern what's pleasing to the Lord right yeah and what's what Paul tells us here is that put your wife first mm-hmm. yeah um, after, oh, after the Lord yeah the Lord and then your wife. So, talks about marriage. A man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. The two shall become one flesh. It's a quote of Genesis 2.24. And then he goes on to say in verse 32, this mystery is profound. And when he says this mystery is profound, he is referring to marriage and how a man leaves his father and mother and holds fast to his wife and they become one flesh. He calls that a mystery, but then he explains what he means by it's a mystery. He talks about what it what he is referring to. He says, I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. So a lot of that word mystery throws us off in the text. And we start thinking about like Sherlock Holmes and a little, you know, magnifying glass and looking for clues. And it's not a mystery in that sense. But he's saying, I want to, the idea of a mystery is uncovering a, a new uh, meaning of something. And he's saying, think of marriage. I'm saying that marriage refers to Christ and the church. Um, and the point is that there's there's places, uh, other places in the Bible, and a lot of times marriage, or sorry, the relationship that Christ has to the church is referred to and compared to the relationship that a man has with his wife. I believe Revelation, it's the church is the bridegroom of Christ, I think. Yeah, the, yeah. Uh, well, the church is the bride. Yes. Yeah. And Christ is the groom, and there's a, there's this whole picture of the church, the saints. I think it's in Revelation 19. Um, it's like this wedding feast, and they go and they meet their groom, which is Jesus, and Jesus comes out of heaven to meet his bride. I think about whenever I was married and seeing Katie come down the aisle um, in her dress, and everything was just perfect, and that's the picture of what our... Re- our reunion with Christ is going to be as the church. It's going to be a man and a woman who love each other so much um, and can't wait to spend the rest of their lives together. Um, that is what the marriage relationship is going to be um, whenever Jesus comes back to bring his children home. That mystery, that term is also used in Ephesians chapter 3. Uh, referring to how Gentiles are fellow heirs of the promise. Um, so just something that's revealed that wasn't previously revealed right. or the connection wasn't previously made. Yeah. Here's kind of a... Here's kind of a... I don't want to... A philosophical question, I guess. Do you think that that mystery was a mystery because of our adversary knew about the relationship that the church would have had with God 
he would have not have tried to kill Christ. I don't think it's I don't I don't think it's mystery in that sense. I think it's mystery, and I could be wrong, but what I've always understood with mystery, we see it again in in Ephesians three. Yeah, says the mystery is revealed, and I've always kind of thought of it as like a connection being made. Right. It it's this thing that that was not formerly known. Relationship between a husband and wife is just always thought of as a relationship between husband and wife, but now it is reflective of or looks like the relationship that Christ has with the church. Yeah. I don't think that was something that was formally talked about or known about as far yeah. as I can tell in the New right. Testament. And I see what you're saying. Is it something that was kept actually covered up? Secret. And actually, I think that's the word for mystery is the idea of unveiling. Like it's like you have a... Yeah. I, if I had a, you know, something secret I was keeping, like a diamond ring would be an example. If I had this, was doing a magic trick or something and I had a ring or a card or a rabbit or something and I covered it up with a handkerchief and then uncovered it, that would be this mystery being revealed. It's not It's not like a Sherlock Holmes, you know, find the clues, but it's an uncovering of information. Yeah. Um, a, a clarification of what yeah. right, plan yeah. is. And so I think all Paul is saying is you used to just think of marriage, like you were saying, Casey has a man and a wife, and that was it. There was nothing else to it. But now I'm, I want to unveil this new information to you and compare it now, marriage yeah, the, refers to Christ in the church. I mean, it's the same. It's almost like the first saying or connection of some information because in Ephesians 3, you know, the Jews are heirs of the promise, but now Gentiles are. Like it's an, uh, a new piece of information that's never been revealed or talked about before, I guess. What were you saying? That the marriage relationship that if you're married, you have with your spouse is the same that the church yes. has with Christ. Right, yes. right. Yeah, that's the information that's being unveiled that was once... A mystery is almost... A mystery in our English language carries the wrong connotation of what it's saying. It's just a... Maybe a secret might even be a better word or a... Um, yeah, an unsaid truth or something like that. I'm trying to think of a, a present-day example. and I'm having a hard time coming up with one. Um... But anyway, that is like a cheat code in a video game. Yeah, that's a that's a good one. If you there's a you know people come out with cheat codes in video games, and there were these these parts of the video game that were uncovered, but or that were covered up. But once you get this code, you you know a new piece of information is unveiled, or yeah. a, a scientific discovery that's uh, that's unveiled, something like that. It's this information, this connection that was once covered, but now is unveiled and the mysteries being revealed um okay so that's that the christ in the church is like this is like marriage um in the sense that we are one flesh so then it goes into this next section of chapter 6 verse 1 um children obey your parents and again that's a tie back up to submitting to one another out of reverence for christ in 521 we have how does one submit or, or what is submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ look like? Well, it looks like this for wives in verse 22. It looks like this for husbands in verse 25. Now he calls out the children. And what they need to do is obey their parents um, in the Lord. And then he, he makes a reference back to Genesis, or, uh, to Exodus chapter 20, the Ten Commandments, honor your father and mother. Um, this is the first commandment with the promise. Um 
What is your understanding of the first commandment with the promise? Have you guys ever looked at that? That's kind of an interesting. Well, it kind of sounds like up the commands that come before that, there was no promise with it. Connected to it, yeah. Yeah, yeah I mean, it has the promise of that your days may be long and that it may be well with you in the land of the Lord, which the Lord your God is giving. So I, get, I think maybe what he's saying, that he's just noting how significant it is to obey your parents. Um, obeying your parents is such a significant command, and, it, and God puts so much importance with it that he connects a promise with it like he does it with any other commands, and, and that mean, is... Yes, and the promise, at least from what I understand, is listed in verse 3, because after mine, there's a, a colon with promise, colon, and then a quote from Deuteronomy 5, verse 16, that it may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. Okay. So, so that seems to be the promise of, if you honor your parents, this is the promise. Right. They will all live well. Back in Exodus chapter 20, verse 12, it says, Honor your father and mother that your days may be long in the land that yes. your Lord God is giving yes. you. So the promise is actually... Right there in the Ten Commandments. Right there. Yes. And it's again and, and, listed in Deuteronomy, and now it's again listed here in Ephesians. And, and i and so not this, doing a deep reading, but just reading above it. There was no other... Uh, the one right before it was did not the have, Sabbath yes. day. But that one doesn't have a promise. It just says, yes. remember the Sabbath day, don't do this, don't do that. And notice the promise has remained the same from generation to generation to generation to generation. So back in the Old Testament, the promise is the same as it is here, mm -hmm. however long later in the New Testament. And, and it makes sense because your parents are older than you. Mm -hmm. And they know if you engage in this activity, it's going to cause you pain and suffering. Whereas you might not see the pain and suffering that would be uh, associated with that. And I almost hate doing this, but it goes back to like, like alcoholism and smoking and doing drugs and stuff like that. Your parents might have gone through that, and so they know what that pain and suffering right. is. I, I'm reminded of a commercial, a radio commercial several years ago. They were talking about um, underage drinking and drunk driving and stuff like that and it was a father and a son and I always hated the commercial and the reason I hated the commercial was because the son came back as kids do with parents well you did it when I was when you were my age mm -hmm. and the father's response was well we didn't know better and I always hated that response I always felt the father should have said yeah, that's why I'm telling you because look what it cost me. Yeah, parents have generally gone through something similar, and it might be different. Like, for example, our parents didn't have smartphones, but they had the same, a lot of the same types of um, challenges. The, the challenges are the same whether you have a smartphone yeah, or not. Yeah, yeah. You know, um, the temptation of a smartphone to a young kid might be cheating on a test. Mm -hmm. And I know that's probably a, a mild temptation that a kid might have with a phone. But that temptation to cheat on a test is not new. Was there when I was a kid. Yeah. And it's been a long time since I've been a kid. You just had to write it on like tablets of stone and pass it to your friends. Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so there is some parents have wisdom and as I I remember my mom would tell me, it drove me insane. 
I hated whenever she would tell me this, whenever she told me to, you know, do something. I thought it was the dumbest thing in the world. And she would say, you just wait till you have kids. And I hated that. And now you know. Now, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of <laughs> truth in that. You're, you're starting to find out. And they're only 18 months. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, like, and now she loves to talk to me and asks, okay, so if you were to, you know, whenever Sam and Andy, those are my kids, whenever they start riding bikes, are you going to make them wear a helmet? And I'm like, well... Like probably whenever they're young, and she's like, "I told you, I told you, you would want." So th- there is some, so much truth in parents okay. know what they're doing, but also I have uh, left my father and mother and clung to my wife. So yeah, but what your mom is doing is kind of what Paul warns about here in chapter uh, verse four: fathers do not provoke your children to anger. Yeah. Yeah, I, I'm sure she's doing it. Of course, in, in jest, it is. But, it but is. But by the same token. There's a certain amount. At, at some point, as a parent, you got to quit saying "I told you so." Yeah, yeah. And it's also different now that I'm older. I think if it, I think if she was doing that when I was younger, but now that I'm older and I have kids, and now we're more in a friendly relationship instead of a mother father or instead of a mother son relationship, it's different. But yes, I, I I certainly see what you're getting at. Is we need, you know, fathers need to be careful about provoking their children to. To, to anger. You know, at, at some point, and again, this is coming from a single person, no kids. Um, at some point, as a father, yeah, you're going to tell your sons, don't do this, don't do this. But at some point, you're just going to be have to be like, well, you're going to learn it the hard way, so mm-hmm. go for it. Mm-hmm. You know, I've told you three times not to ride the clothes basket down the stairs. And yes, I know somebody who did that, and no, it was not me. And uh, and, and it was like, I've told you not to do it, but you insist on doing it. Find out the hard way. Yeah. And uh, yeah, no, that wasn't me. But I did when I heard the story. It was like that sounds like fun. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um. All right. So there it is with children and parents, and then we see bond servants obey your earthly masters. There's also, there's a lot of talk around this verse, and the Bible talks about slavery, and the, God wants there to be slaves, and that's, we got to back up and read it in its context. That's not at all, God is not saying it's okay to have slaves. What he's saying is back in this time, you had more of a, um, there were parents, or not parents, employees, you had house servants, you had bond servants. Um, and what he's saying is if you are a servant, you need to obey your master. Um, don't try and fight against them. And a, a lot of times my understanding of these bond servant and master relationship is it's not like, you know, in the movies we read books about slavery in the South, and it's not this harsh slavery necessarily. It is a, I am a worker in your house, um, and I, you know, help you. It's a, it's a, not a butler is not the right word, a servant. A house a house servant is the best way to put it. Um, and it seemed like these servants would work with these masters maybe to pay off a debt. Um, they would work with these these masters in their houses um, to as a way of living and they could eat with their you know, eat with their family and live in their house and it was to work off some sort of debt. So the the point is the way that bond servers Bond servers, bond servants submit to the Lord is just by obeying their masters, um, as they would 
Christ, and they needed to be genuine. Um, they need to work hard, and um, then on the other side of that, masters need to do the same for them. They don't need to threaten, um, but masters and bondservants need to have a good, godly relationship, just like children and parents and husbands and wives. And it seems to me that this all, again, like we said, points back to 521. All right, so how do you submit? Well, this covers all your bases. Yeah. Most people are going to, or all people are going to fit in one of these categories. They're a husband, they're a wife, they're a child, they're a father, they're a bond servant or a worker, they're a master or an employee or employer. Um, mm-hmm. So they fit in somewhere. And so no matter what your circumstance looks like, whether slave, free, it doesn't matter, um, you can submit to one another in the fear of God. You know, we in the United States kind of have a skewed ver- vision of what it means to be a slave. Mm-hmm. I am in no way condoning slavery. Mm-hmm. I think it's wrong. I don't think God ever planned on slave-master relationship. However, that being said, in both the Old and New Testament, he addressed slavery. And, you know, it, it wasn't that God's okay with it. It's just like, okay, you guys are going to do this. Here's how you treat pe- how you mm-hmm. treat that person. Um, and one thing that we have a skewed ver- vision of slavery is we get we have this idea that all slave masters were just abusive to their right. slaves. And that's not true. And that is not true. Um, mm-hmm. It did it happen? Yes. Did it happen as often as we are led to believe? More than likely not, because it was a huge investment, even in this country, to have a slave. Yeah. Because you had to provide for them, at even providing the bare minimum of mm-hmm. stuff is a lot of money. Mm-hmm. It's a, I mean, it, so you had to provide a shelter. Yeah, they might have had to build it, and it might not. It might have just been a shed, but there was shelter. And uh, I've never been in the South. I've been to the Southwest. I hear Florida stinks in the summer, very hot and muggy, and you know. So you had to take all that into consideration, and you couldn't let your. You didn't want your slave to die, because that was a massive financial burden that you had to take on again so i think another i guess common misconception about slavery which i don't really want to get into this fully but i think we often think that only african americans or black people were slaves and i think there was slaves of every different race nationality white black it didn't matter yeah paul's talking to jews slaves so like I think we often think the only people that were ever slaves were black people, but that's incorrect. Um, there it's is, not a correct view to have. There has not been a culture on the face of the earth ha- who has not been slaves or owned slaves. Yes. Um, it, and I'm gonna so, and I don't think we need to get fully into all this, but no. I just wanted to point out that there is... There's the misconception that Tom pointed out, but there's also this misconception about slavery as well. Yeah. We have a very... We see slavery through a certain lens, and it's not the only lens to see slavery through. And, and again, it goes back. God did not ever right. plan for sure. It. He, he never made. Uh, I, I know some people try to uh, take this into our. When, when at the end of the flood, when Noah told 
I believe it was Ham, that you shall serve your brothers. That's not condoning slavery. Right. You know, it was... He's talking about a promise about Israel and Canaan and... You know, it's not about the descendants of Ham were going to be slaves for mm-hmm. entirety. No. that um, So God made all of us equal. Some people are better at certain things than other people. Mm-hmm. And because of that, some people are going to find themselves slaves. Mm-hmm. Um, the uh, um, King Solomon in the book of Proverbs, he writes that the lender is a slave to the lender. The lendee is slave to the lendor. In other words, if I borrow money from the bank, I'm a slave to the bank until I pay back that money that I, you know. There's uh, many different senses, which slave and servant, yeah. In one sense, um, my, well, both of my jobs, in one sense, I'm a slave to them, but in another sense, they're a slave to me because. I've agreed to give them my time, and they have agreed to give me money for my time. Right. So another application, or I would say the application for us, if this were translated bond servants in the most American word we can think of, it would be employee. Um, Slave, you know, we, we come to... I guess the reason we've delved into this discussion is we see the word bondservant, and many people who are, you know, wanting to discredit the Bible come across this word bondservant, and like, boom, look at there, I don't need to read the Bible, God approves of slavery, and that is, we just spent a lot of time talking about how that's, that has nothing to do with what this is talking about. The fact of the matter is, there were employees and employer relationships, uh, it would have looked like a house servant, a bondservant, paying off a, a debt type of thing, and God addressed that, um, and talked about this is how you need to live with each other. Um, and God did not tell, this might ruffle feathers, God did not tell these servants to beat up your master and fight for your freedom and leave. He said, obey him. But he also told the master, stop threatening your slave, because all of this is rooted back in the end of verse chapter 6, verse 9. He says, you need to stop threatening your servants, knowing that he who is both their master and your master is in heaven. So what he's saying is to the to the slave, your earthly master is really not your master at all. To the master, you're really not the master at all. God is uh, higher than everyone, and so slaves and masters, servant, you know, bond, whatever, employer, employer, employee, employer, you're nothing. God is everything. And so you just need to do what the Lord says um, and, and fall into these relationships as he desires you to. And if you finish that verse, it says, and there is no partiality yeah, right. in him. Yeah. In other words, you may be the president of a massive corporation or you may be the janitor of that corporation sweeping. If you're both Christians, God, God sees at, nothing. Yeah. God sees you as a soul that is... Yeah. That it, belongs to him yeah and the fact that you have you know a billion dollars in the bank means absolutely nothing right to God. i think a cool example of this is in philemon we see there's a paul writes, writes a little tiny red letter to philemon 
And all he, about master and slave. All about master and slave. Philemon is a master, and he had this slave, Onesimus, who ran away. Man, we could get into a whole discussion. But while Onesimus ran away, he met Paul, and Paul converted him to Christianity. Philemon was a Christian who had a house church, and so he's writing this letter back to Philemon for Onesimus to carry, and this letter says... You guys are both brothers in Christ, so quit acting like a slave and a master, and you need to lose all that relation. You need to to lose those titles. You're both Christians. You're brothers, so act like it. Accept each other. Love one another. Embrace one another. Um, God doesn't show partiality. So we got into a whole bunch of stuff with that. We're we're at 40 minutes, but (laughs) that's all all I have. We're having too much fun. Um, Do y'all have anything else? No, that's it. These difficult passages are going to take... Yeah, these are difficult passages. And, and these difficult passages really started back in 22. Yeah. And probably even back in verse 1 of chapter 5. But mm-hmm. it is what it is. Yeah. We are to, as verse 10 says, discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Yeah. And I think we're trying to do that to the best yeah. of our ability. That's a good point. Um, so I hope you've, uh, if you've, if you've, uh, Bore with us and taking the time to listen to this. I hope you've enjoyed it. If you have any questions, please let us know. Like Tom just mentioned, we're this is what Bible study is about: is trying to discern what's pleasing to the Lord and unpacking all of these passages. There's a lot in here, um, so let us know if you have any more questions. Um, we will finish up Ephesians pretty soon, and reach out to us with anything that you need, and we will catch you on the next one. Bye. Thank you for joining us for today's episode of the Let's Open the Bible podcast. If you have any questions, want to talk about the next steps in your faith journey, or are interested in receiving our daily Bible verse which corresponds to the content of this podcast, feel free to reach out to openthebible2022 at gmail.com. We hope you'll join us next week as we continue our study together. Have a great day.